So, Reed, you're an Apple fan. I am. You have an Apple computer. iPad, Apple Watch, MacBook. Well, you must be happy to hear that this week, Apple's computer for your face is finally here. Is the weird Google Glass but Apple come out? Is that what's now launched? It's called the Apple Vision Pro. Yes. It's been long awaited. Do you think it's worth three point five? thousand dollars i so badly want to just wear it around the office and just be like no i'm taking notes but really what you're doing is you're streaming your latest like netflix (laughs) yeah i'm just taking a nap but i've got this ai thing in here like series on and it's just like note taking for me (laughs) so now it's just like over under till scoble wears it in the shower Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 369. Chris, that is 369. 12, 15, 18. (laughs) (laughs) Divisible by three. Also part of a little John song, maybe? Schoolhouse Rock song is what I think about. Yeah, actually, this makes me think of something I will be recommending later at the end of the show be my weekly recommendation. So. And in the biz, we call that a tease. Yeah. Yeah. And when I do it later, we call it, that's a callback. So, um, <laughs> so I'm just saying it now. So I don't forget here in a little bit. Well, welcome one and all. Thanks for joining us again. Before we get started, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Again, like always, uh, we're going to give you a second to jump over there, sign up for the TPS report. Hopefully that is a good little value add as you start the week. Five articles, email in your inbox each Monday. And so again, we'll pause here, touchpoint.health. Let you go do do that and be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. So Reed, you and I talk about user experience design a lot. And in today's episode, we're going to go a little deep into one concept that's part of not only user experience design, but also part of healthcare consumerism. It's part of a variety of things that we are starting to see in our digital space. And this concept is self-service. 
providing self-service applications for consumers. Before we jump into this a little deeper, let's maybe start with a definition, Reed. Do you want to share a definition of what self-service means? Sure. In the kind of experience design space, self-service is, is the practice of creating user interfaces that enable the end user to complete a task independent of assistance or directions from others. Most commonly, we think about this as like chatbots or something like that or online scheduling or whatever. But yeah, how can you allow the end user to complete a task on their own? It's really an important concept around uh, good UX design. In fact, one of the preeminent authorities around UX design, Nielsen Norman Group, has a quote that is say, self-service is a scalable, cost-effective way to make customers happy. They don't have to wait for service and can get things done exactly when they want. That sounds really great, doesn't it? hundred percent. I think, you know, those that listened to the show last week heard from my CEO, Marty Bonick, but he's mentioned a time or two that his kids have said, or one of his sons maybe has said to him, if they have to talk to someone, something has gone wrong. Mm. So that's what we're talking about here, right? It's again, the preference, the expectation, et cetera, for DIY. We have it all through our lives and, you know, something that we address in healthcare sometimes better than others. And so we kind of outlined a couple of ways about how self-service in healthcare is strategic when it comes to consumerism, healthcare consumerism. The first is around empowerment and setting expectations. Self-service tools empower patients by giving them direct control over their healthcare management. And it aligns with the increasing consumer expectations that healthcare consumers have now around convenience and autonomy kind of like the other industries, like what we see in other industries. Again, I think people want the opportunity. So this is not something we're trying to convince people to do in most cases. Uh, Next thing on the list is around ops, operational efficiency. So uh, again, by allowing people to complete a lot of these task-based asks, you're offloading a lot of administrative burden and maybe even cost, right? I think about contact centers. So again, if people are able to quote-unquote do things online, maybe that reduces the amount of calls into a contact center. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a cost savings there. There's, you know, it's more efficient. They're able to spend more time with people that, that really they need to talk to and handhold. Good for our business. Another aspect is uh, enhanced access and engagement. If done right, these self-service tools can offer patients the ability to easily access their healthcare information and relevant services like rescheduling their appointments or refilling their prescriptions. This in turn leads to better engagement. Some studies have shown compliance, better compliancy with what they're doing from a healthcare perspective and just overall better health outcomes. So all of this sounds really good so far, Reed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm aligned. What else do, do we have here? Yeah. So safety and accessibility. Um, so again, they're talk, talking here about the adoption of self-service technologies in some cases eliminates the need for an in-person visit. We saw it during the pandemic, you know, telehealth, virtual care type of solutions that allowed people to still continue to be seen without exposure or unnecessary exposure. Obviously helps from a convenience standpoint, especially in like remote areas. And so that's kind of where the accessibility piece comes in. And lastly, if done, again, if done right, which is always our precursor to all of this, 
health systems that can effectively implement self-service tools and technologies, they sometimes gain a competitive advantage because it really aligns closer to what the consumer expectation is. And so it increases their satisfaction. It increases convenience. It increases service delivery. All of those things are a strong competitive advantage. Clearly, self-service is a good trend. Yeah, I mean, again, I think at the core of all of this is just the expectation and desire by the consumer. A lot of the benefits on our side are based on that fact. We'll end our kind of like precursor about what this is and why it's good with a quote from a friend of mine who was, was quoted in an article on Healthcare IT News called Four Health IT Experts Point to Impactful Trends in 2024. Patty Riskin, who's the CEO of Orbita, they do smart virtual assistance workflow automation for healthcare. She said the industry must show demonstrable progress in making healthcare as self-service as possible for patients. This will not only help patients, but also help alleviate the administrative burden on clinicians and staff. She even went further and she said, while EHR vendors have long said they will incorporate digital tools within their systems, their development priorities by necessity must focus on compliance and regulatory updates. Mm. And therefore, forward-thinking provider organizations will have to more aggressively seek partners to augment their EHRs through fully integrated consumer-friendly tools with the target of reducing call volume, alleviating repetitive manual workflows, and also resulting in more efficient operations. So this is a calling, right? Self-service one of those mantras of healthcare consumerism that we as technologists really need to consider strongly. But there are times, Reed, when self-service might be a little bit too much. I think there's some balancing here, uh, depending on what the task is that you're asking of people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get into it after the break, as you say. So let's take a pause here, and then we'll jump back and talk a little bit more about self-service. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front-row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. So everybody wants to do it. We want them to do it. I think we want them to do it. Right. (laughs) There could be some instances where maybe that's not the right avenue. Yeah, there are some aspects to self-service that can impede good customer experience and can impede an organization's cost efficiency and all the great things we just talked about. Let's go through some of those. I think one of those, Reed, is when it gets in the way of efficiency. If users can't complete tasks quickly due to complex self-service systems, it really defeats the purpose of the tool. I remember this from when we initially launched online appointment scheduling. And, you know, this is many years ago, well before the pandemic. And basically what we did is we took the whole Epic scheduling workflow and we just threw it online for the patients to walk through. 
there was like four or five screens before you actually got to the point where you actually picked an appointment time. That's one of those illustrations of where self-service can get in the way of efficiency. If you don't operationally have a way to back that up, meaning like you don't have enough inventory to sell, like you don't have appointment availability, the fact that you have online appointment scheduling is not particularly helpful and maybe even detrimental to the whole equation. Next thing on the list is, you know, the idea of just, you know, it overcomplicates things. So when simple actions require a whole bunch of extra steps or interactions, uh, that's not exactly what folks are looking for. Back to that scheduling example, if you prompt somebody via email, text message, whatever, meaning you already know who they are and say, hey, you know, you're due for your annual wellness exam, click here. And then you click there and then you got to re-enter everything. And you're like, well, hang on. I thought you knew who I was. Like, why am I having to enter all this? Or all of a sudden you got to download something that you weren't expecting, you know, stuff like that. It really puts a lot of the burden of the administrative task of booking an appointment, for example, on the user themselves, which is kind of the antithesis of good user experience design. (laughs) Another aspect is where self-service lacks human support. When there's no easy way to connect with human support for complex issues, again, online appointment scheduling is a a great example because we're rife with this, right? I remember working with an organization about, you know, creating a great integrate online appointment scheduling workflow, and it was really awesome. And they simplified all the great user experience design pieces to it. And I said to them, well, what about the phone number if someone's doing this and they just need help? And they said, well, isn't this going to eliminate the need for a call center? No, you need human support because there will be some people that will want to use the release valve of calling someone to help them finish the the appointment schedule or finish whatever that task is. 100%. The next one on the list is accessibility. So it's a good thing. A lot of this is being done so things do become more accessible, but also accessible in the sense of different groups and needs and things like that. Problem being is occasionally some of the self-service options aren't compatible, right? So like a good call out would be screen readers or some of the visually impaired needs around some of the uh, you know alt text and some things like that. If the only way to do it is through a patient portal that's, that's not accessible or compatible with, with screen readers, well, now you're sending people down a dead end. Here's one that's sometimes overlooked. When self-service gets away from personalization, an over-reliance on automation can sometimes ignore the personalized aspect of the service. Think about a chatbot that you're talking to, and it may provide just generic responses, or it may not even remember what you were just talking about. It may not you know, tie that together. That could be a bad experience you know, where you say, hey, no, I, I just asked for this type of doctor instead of this type of doctor, and it doesn't remember that learned experience. This is the importance of ensuring that personalization is part of the overall experience, even if you're automating it. Next thing on the list uh, potentially a downfall is not important until it is, which is security. Most people are not looking necessarily when they're initially using a lot of these tools and solutions, but it becomes really, really problematic for the organization and the individual if there is exposing potential sensitive data or something like that ultimately then happens. Again, this is one of those things that's like, well, it didn't didn't really impact anything up front potentially, but it has more longer term and even, even kind of sustaining effects. The other thing that we kind of outlined here is 
when self-service ignores user feedback. Oftentimes, software gets developed and adds features to self-service tools, but it doesn't really look at how the tool is being used or addressing user complaints about the tool. And so therefore, it suddenly becomes an amorphous Frankenstein-like system that no one really uses anymore. The good news is that a lot of the, the self-service tools out there in healthcare right now are have really good user experience design. And that's part of the mantra here is to be able to check in with your users to get that feedback. But for those softwares that don't, it becomes something that basically is unused in this particular case and have a negative impact on self-service. So those are some of the negative aspects of this. And Reed, before we kind of close out this part of this, this segment of the show, we want to share an article that was that was actually posted on LinkedIn by a friend of ours who's been on the show before, Jeremy Rogers. It was actually a study that was done about self-checkout. Now, this was self-checkout in grocery stores, mm-hmm. not healthcare, but they really looked at what is the impact of self-service in grocery store loyalty. I was just doing some kind of mental math here on like my current experience before we get too far into this. I I would say it probably, I'll be honest. I don't know that it makes me more loyal (laughs) because they all have it. I don't know that it's a differentiator, right? Now, some of them do it better than others. And so that is kind of helpful, I guess. That's a really good point, right? Like what is the impact on loyalty? Because we know that a lot of people have them, right? And in fact, there are some right now that are implementing more self-checkout stores, and there are others that are removing self-checkout stores from some locations. Mm. Why is this happening, right? So a study was done by Drexel University, Lebeau College of Business, and they went to look at how self-checkout systems in grocery stores can influence customer loyalty compared to regular checkout systems with people. They conducted five studies, Reed, that showed customers are more likely to remain loyal to a grocery store when they use the regular checkout service. And that is an ominous foretelling of like saying, wait, self-service is not working well here? I'd love to see the actual store like experience, right? Like I can think of certain instances that 100% of the time I'm going self-checkout because it just works really well, especially now that they've added the little scanning gun to the yeah. self-checkout. Yeah. Big difference, right? Or where it's like, I'm not constantly fighting with the like, please place it in the bag. I'm like, I did place it in the bag. And then you're taking stuff in and, you know, one of those deals. So <laughs> I think the technology has gotten better. It's frustrating, right? When you when you roll up, like I'll, I'll pick on Walmart. There are 1,100 registers and like three people working. Yeah. And so that's, I think, where you get into some of the problematic pieces to to some of these things. Whereas some of the smaller grocery stores that, you know, maybe have 10 registers and about half of them are manned. And then they've got several different groupings of some of the self-checkout with somebody kind of hovering in that area. I think Home Depot, Lowe's, they've done a pretty good job with the self-checkout. So it, it varies, right? Um, now, there has been a couple of times, I didn't realize it, where I'm like, why will it not let me pay? Well, I had 12 items instead of 10, right? Like somebody's got to come over and like do the thing and key in their thing and like all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I get it. it it's not a perfect process. And so I do think it will get better. Well, so one of the, the people that did the studies, they actually focused in on another aspect of this, which is 
they said that their findings indicate that self-checkout systems, despite some advantages of speed, ease of use, and cost reduction, can lower customer loyalty compared to other checkouts because of the extra effort required to do the checkout. You're basically saying, what, I have to do all the bagging? Just like what you just pointed out, right? I have to do all the bagging? That's me? And that could have a negative consequence and result in decreased loyalty to the store. So in effect, what they're they're saying is the more self-service you impose, it could start to have a detrimental effect on the experience because there's this perceived notion you're shifting the burden on the user again. I mean, I think some of that will get solved for, but they're right. I mean, it's like now I've got to navigate the issues with the barcode won't scan and the, the bagging issues and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Lastly, they, they found, and they did five different studies in different scenarios. The article is really interesting. They said to overcome the negative at impacts of using self-checkout on customer loyalty, or the researchers proposed to retailers, but we can think about it in healthcare here, they should attempt to make the self-checkout experience more rewarding, like encouraging shoppers to think the extra effort involved in self-checkout is a rewarding experience, kind of reinforcing to the users of this experience that this is a good and efficient system and it gives you more power to you know make the decisions you need or to, to check out quickly or what have you. That is something that you need to learn if you're doing online appointment scheduling or any kind of other self-service tools in healthcare. It's while you're shifting the burden on the user, you should reinforce the fact that you're giving them the ability to do this, which is a, a pro or a bonus. Let's take another pause here, Reed, and then we'll come back. We'll talk about another important aspect of self-service, which is appointment reminders. Uh-oh. We'll do that right after the break. Okay, so self-service, people love it. They want to do things themselves. They want to complete actions themselves. I think another piece of this, like you mentioned before the break, is appointment reminders. We're sending a lot of these. (laughs) They're good in and of themselves. There's all kinds of reasons you do this. No shows, et cetera, reminders, compliance, you know, all that kind of good stuff. But there's an article here that we'll we'll mention from, from Axios called Patients Are Drowning in Appointment Reminders. That does not sound good. They kick off the article by saying, you got an upcoming doctor's appointment, perhaps a prescription to refill, or even a dental cleaning. Odds are your phone has been pinging away with incessant reminders about it. Mm-hmm. Odds are my phone pings away at incessant reminders about everything. I'm not sure if it's just the, the doctor's appointments, but I get too many notifications on my phone, I think. It is a lot. You know, we've been working a lot internally to say, okay, well, how many messages does the consumer get from us? Appointment reminders being one of those, right? There's marketing messages, there's care gap messages, you know, on kind of the managed care side. There, there's all kinds of stuff. Bill pay, you get push notifications from the portal, you get text messages, you get, you know. So there's lots of things, you know, hammering away at you. Like, how do you prioritize or how do you even understand? It just becomes noise at some point, right? Yeah, that's the point, right? We can start to tune out. 
just like we were tuning out online ads, right? You could tune out your notifications. In fact, John Friedman, who's quoted in this article, who's a digital strategist with Chartis, we know we all know Chartis, our healthcare consulting firm. He says there's definitely a lot of information overload going on. And he said, to be fair though, data shows that the reminders get patients to show up, at least initially. But the problem is, he stated, quote, the data also will show that if you overload patients with messages, it'll just get lost. But that first data point, everybody sees it, so everybody's doing it. So it's not just, you know, you got to think about this a little bit more clearly, like how many notifications do you have? Yeah, 100%. And and they go on to talk about Oliver uh, Karaz, CEO of ZocDoc, which a lot of folks have heard of, is his comment, which I think is kind of interesting, is that doctors are like the airline industry in the 90s because they have a perishable inventory. You know, we refer to it internally as spoilage, right? Like the airplane's taking off with empty seats. Like you can't resell that inventory. Like it's just gone. And so that's the point of appointment reminders, right? It's like you're trying to get people to, sh- to make sure that this inventory or these seats don't go unfilled. So, you know, the airlines, they say, figured it out how to, you know, pack those planes. But the doctor's offices, um, they say are about 20 to 30 percent of those appointment slots go unused because of last minute cancellations, no shows, et cetera. And it's interesting to think like, you know, why is that? There's some you know notion in here. They say that it's, you know, pandemic legacy kind of hangover, right? They're more people are more comfortable, like not doing things. <laughs> I guess. Not showing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I just have to cancel it because I got COVID. No, but I, I think you're right. There's a little bit of that, right? I, I hear that from physicians a lot when I talk about online appointment scheduling. They say, well, what if they book the appointment and they never show up? What's interesting though, is the data doesn't indicate patients have gotten flakier. Even Karaz said that there's a key difference here the length of time they have to wait for appointments has gotten far longer. Mm. For every 24 hours, he says, that you add between the time of scheduling the appointment and the appointment happening, you add roughly a 4% increase in the likely no-show or cancellation rate of that patient. So it's not that they're getting flakier. It's just that there's not enough inventory. There's not enough availability. And that's why we're seeing more people quote unquote, canceling, right? Or flaking out. I think so. I mean, I, I wish, and we'll get more into, uh, right before we started recording this episode, Chris, you and I were talking about metrics and, um, you know, kind of how we show value and some of those types of things. But we, we've been solely responsible for driving demand for so long, getting into these conversations about supply or inventory. So back to John over at, at Chartis, having conversations in this week about the very topic. So that's an interesting one, right? Like how do we, how do we create that or help understand that and load balance? So there's other systemic problems to read here. Some of these tools, which may have really good user design around appointment reminders and reminder features. Many of them are kind of strung together and they're not connected to each other and they don't talk to each other. And I think you went down this path when you started to audit you know, how many times do you communicate with a patient? Yeah, 100%. You probably realize there's multiple different ways of people going about this. 
they're getting communications from their specialists, from their insurance companies, from pharmacies, from marketing departments. What Adrian Bosi, who is the chief medical officer for Qualtrics, called it a a potpourri of messages that health systems do. That sounds like a lovely way to put a bow on something that seems complicated or not, not so good. I think most people would like a potpourri of messages. (laughs) What's wrong with that? (laughs) It's a lot, man. And then, then couple with everything else that we're asking them to do, like don't get me started on the amount of times we try to ask people for a survey response regulatory or otherwise. And so I, I don't know. It, it's it's interesting. They say in here that artificial intelligence tools, you know, play a role in all of this. And so they can kind of help sort it out, you know, play air traffic control to some extent. And, and that's the hope. They say that there should be a difference in the reminder strategy for someone who shows up for their appointment every single time versus someone who has not responded. It's difficult if you're trying to get people to re-engage so again, if you're not getting that, I think that's when you've got to pick up the phone and start calling, right? Or or try different mediums to to alert folks. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, right? You create different personas. This is a person who always shows up. They're going to get these reminder sequence as opposed to these mm-hmm. people, which have not had a history of showing up. How often are you going to remind them? The whole concept here of digital reminders it's going to increase. It's going to be something that we look at. The more we start to put self-service in, the more tools that we implement to help with the access, the convenience, it's going to increase. Everybody has kind of a stake in this. The whole point is, though, we really want to make sure, they all really want to make sure you make it for a visit for a flu shot or you pick up a prescription or your appointment or whatever it is. And we don't want the appointment reminder to get in the way of you having a good access to your care experience. This clearly shows the last, you know, this episode showed there are pros and cons to this concept of self-service. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, don't get me wrong, I still think this is the direction you should go broadly, but how you execute against it, what it's used for, you know, that's where you got to spend some time and really start to think through the user experience, the journey, complexity of it, you know, those types of things. Well, with that, Reed, we'll take one last pause, and then you and I will be back to close out the show. All right, Chris, uh, another good episode. Interesting idea, just kind of building on this concept of consumerism, even from last week uh, on the DIY side of the equation. Quick plug, uh, touchpoint.health. Sign up for the TPS report. We'd love to have you there. Love to hear from you. LinkedIn, Twitter, all that kind of good stuff. Before we wrap up the show, uh, let's do some recommendations. What do you got uh, today? Reed, I'm going to recommend something that I just recently added to my home office. Now, as you know, I work from home. And so I have a, a you know my computer here at my desk and mm-hmm. other things associated with it. One of the things that I started to realize is that I just have a plethora of cables everywhere coming in and out of my computer. Now, I do have a a docking station light kind of situation, right? I have a little sidebar, so I have more ports available that I can plug things into. But what's that resulted in is a lot of cables coming in and out of my computer. And it was just kind of driving me crazy. It looked untidy. It looks kind of you know messy. I, I just didn't like it at all. And lo and behold, I came across a new desk pad or a desk mat. You know, these like leather type desk mats that you have across your desk 
that, you know, where you can yeah, yeah. on or whatever, right? Yeah, so 100%. it's one of those, but what, what's interesting about it is it has a side port that magnetically attaches to it. And on that side port, which by the way, plugs into an outlet, you can rest and wirelessly charge your phone and your earbuds, your AirPods, in my case, right next to me. So my phone's always available. My headset's always available if I need to. And they can sit, sit here and just charge. Um, the company is called Journey. You can find them on journeyofficial.com. And what I purchased was the Alti Wireless Charging Desk Mat. Nice. It's not real leather. It's They call it vegan leather. So it's like you know a, a faux leather mm-hmm, that they mm-hmm. use. It fits, it, it rests underneath my entire computer. And also I have a computer. I have some other things, including a kind of a little stand for my monitor and things like that. That's all within on top of this uh, writing pad. I have a little attachment that I just magnetically attach on one side. And by the way, if you're left-handed or right-handed, you could flip it and you could attach it either side you want to, just so you know. Um, and moreover, it's two-sided. One side is felt which I kind of like too, because it's kind of a nicer, warmer feel. And the other side is that vegan leather. But in between it, you can lift it up and you have a little sleeve where you can slide documents, right? Paper documents underneath and kind of keep your desk neat and tidy. I love it. I'm a big fan. Um, The Alti Wireless Charging Desk Mat from Journey. You can find it on journeyofficial.com. Highly recommend it for someone who's looking to kind of clean up their home office. Very cool. I like it. I love stuff like that. I'm going to have to look that up. I'm going to recommend a an Instagram account. I always like finding somebody kind of fun to follow that's uh, that's you know kind of lightweight and and uh, uh, not too serious and all that kind of good stuff. Anyway, this guy's name is Adam Kruger. He is the chief meteorologist at the CW39 Houston. So he's the weather guy. And have you seen this guy? No, I haven't. I mean, oh man. So he takes requests for different songs, usually like uh, rap, you know, or, or rock songs or whatever. And then he works the lyrics into his live broadcast. No way. And it is spectacular. So again, uh, on Instagram, it's Weather Adam. Like okay. W-E-A-T-H-E-R, Weather Adam. And uh, so go check him out. He's got a few pinned posts at the top. Probably one of the more popular is the Little John song, Get Low, uh, that he worked in. It's uh, pretty great. I think that's like the first one pinned on his account. So anyway, if you don't follow him, he's got like 1.4 million followers where the CW Houston has 10,000, right? So he's on his way. He's doing well. So anyway, he's done Eminem. He's done Metallica, Inner Sandman. I mean, it's it, there's a lot. Maybe got back. You guys, Dave Matthews Band, Taylor Swift, of course, you know, et cetera. So go check him out, Weather Adam on Instagram. I am following him now. I'm going to check that out. That's a great recommendation. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty awesome. So, all right, folks, thanks again. Uh, another great week, another great show. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. Certainly, we would appreciate the support. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.